Well, hey guys. Wow, thank you, Tyler, for saying hi back. <laughs> hey guys. There you go. Well, guys, welcome to Thrive. If you're a guest with us tonight, I just want to say thank you for coming out. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series tonight called Thrive at the Movies. Thank you for my notes. <laughs> and um, as you can tell, our very first movie that we're starting with is Band of Brothers. Uh, Band of Brothers is a movie about the parachute company in World War II. And uh, watching this miniseries, if you've not seen it, um, I was watching it to get ready for this sermon. You notice a lot of different things when you're watching this. These guys who are fighting are just ordinary people. I mean, when you really think about it, these people who are uh, parachuting into Normandy on D-Day, doing this crazy stuff, are people just like you and me. But they have heart, they have passion. Uh, also, there's a quote from the, the miniseries that I love, and it says this, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers who sheds his blood with me. Who sheds his blood with me. And it got me thinking, you know, how close must these guys have been? You know, they were doing life together. They were eating together, sleeping together, jumping out of airplanes together. They were pushing the limits of life with each other. And they knew that they had to have each other's backs. As you saw in that clip, when uh, somebody was shot, they were rushing to bind up his wounds, to pull him to safety. What a brotherhood. What a brotherhood. And so something else I realized from watching that is, this is a picture-perfect model for what Jesus wants his church to look like. And yet so often, so many times, the church is exactly opposite of what that represents. It's not a team working together, but it's this unit of people that are fighting amongst each other. It's this place where people throw grenades and stones instead of building one another up. But it doesn't have to be like that. We, we have this culture in church sometimes where instead of aiding our wounded, we shoot our wounded. And uh, I want you to know tonight, without a shadow of a doubt, when you leave this place that we're all wounded. Every single person that came into this building has walked in here with baggage. You've walked in here with past, with mistakes, with sin, with brokenness, uh, with things that you want to hide, things that you're ashamed of. And I want you to know that tonight you are not alone. That's why there's a sign down here that says, hey, me too. So before we really dig any deeper into this message about the band of brothers and how Christ has called his church to be a band of brothers, would you just pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to get together in your house. And God, I just want to thank you for giving us this opportunity to talk about brotherhood. Lord, I just pray that as we go through this message, we can seek to be a church that binds together, that, that, that joins together in an effort to fight the enemy and not fight against each other. God, would you let this be a place where our words, our message, be real, be loved, and be long, are true statements, not just words that we have on our, on our sign outside. God, let this be a safe place where people can feel like they can come and open up, where healing can happen. God, allow us to become that brotherhood that we know that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I started thinking about why do we push away people that are broken? Why are we so quick to point out people's flaws? You know, I know for a lot of us, uh, sometimes when somebody comes into church and their sin is really, really obvious, when it's really obvious that they struggle with something, immediately it makes us feel uncomfortable. It gives us that ugh feeling. And I think the reason that it does that to us is because we have to look at their ashamedness, and when we see it, it reminds us of the ashamedness that we're trying to hide in ourselves. And so we push them away. But what if tonight we realize that we aren't alone? What if tonight we ceased fire among Christians and truly banded together to fight the enemy? 
There's a popular song on the radio, and in truth, the song is actually extremely, extremely blasphemous. Um, but there's very true lyrics, and it's kind of disheartening how true some of them are. And the song I'm talking about is Take Me to Church. Um, there's a specific line in that, in that song, and it says, I'll tell you my sins, and you can sharpen your knife. I'll tell you my sins, and you can sharpen your knife. You know, so often we preach about the fact that church is a safe place. Church is a place where you can come and you can open up and be real and honest and genuine. But so many people have been hurt by other Christians who, when somebody opens up about their sin immediately, that person is manipulating, using that sin against them, just driving the knife in their back. But we can change that. We can change that tonight. We can be a church that doesn't do that. That instead of driving the knife says, you know what, listen, that's okay. I'm going to help you through it. I'm going to walk with you through that pain. When I was a kid, I saw this, uh, this mentality in the church where Christians were against each other. And I absolutely hated going to church for a long time. Um, I, I tell people often, when I was nine years old, I had a drug problem. And what I meant by that is I was constantly being drugged into the church. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the fact that there was all this animosity between Christians who talked about love and mercy and grace, but they were some of the meanest people I'd ever been around in my life. Until I met a person named Jeff Perry and. I got involved in the youth group, and he started talking to me about real things. And I was like, wow, you're actually a real human being who actually struggles with stuff. And it was okay to talk about our issues and the things that we were dealing with. We didn't have to put on this mask and just be these fake robots. When I went into my senior year, I was interning here at the church, and again, I met another person who was a huge influence in my life, and his name was Kent Holland. Kent's not afraid to tell you that he's jacked up. He wouldn't be mad at me for saying that he's jacked up. He told me about things that he had struggled with in college, real issues. He was honest and gen- genuine and authentic. He never made me feel stupid for my sin or my struggles. He made me feel worthy and purposeful when he spoke truth into my life. And because of that, because of that, I'm here today. And so I think we all can do a better job at being those kind of people. Being people that allow real, authentic relationship. Being people that take off the mask and are uh, allowing people to be transparent, honest, and real. And I think that's exactly what God has called us to do. Uh, this kind of love helped me realize something, and it's a quote, actually. And the quote is this, that the church is not a museum for saints, which so often we believe, but it's a hospital for the broken. It's a hospital for sick people. You know, I love that um, illustration because it's so true, and yet so often uh, I think we do think that it's this place where we have to come in and just sit quietly in our seats and never say amen and never talk about our pain, and if we're hurting, we feel like we have to wipe on that fake plastic smile, and that's not what it's about, guys. It's not what it's about at all. There's a, uh, a sign at the hospital, actually, and uh, speaking about the church being this hospital for broken people. And if you do hospital visits or if you go visit anybody or you have to actually be in the hospital, you'll see the sign. And the sign says, safe zone. Safe zone. You know, if you think about it, a hospital is a very safe place. It's a place where you're allowed to feel vulnerable. It's a place where you're allowed to feel weak and broken. You're actually supposed to be if you're there, right? You know, that's the whole purpose of going to a hospital is because you understand that you're sick and you need help. What if the church could become that safe zone for Christians? That safe place for us to talk about the things that are are hard in our life, that we're dealing with. The places in our life where we've been wounded and hurt. Uh, Another thing about this idea of the church being a hospital for the sick. If somebody ran into the ER today and their arm was cut off and they were bleeding out. It would be a little weird if somebody went to go give him service and he said, Oh no, no, I'm fine. Oh no, no, I don't need stitches. I'm just here on a visit. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, would it? 
But yet so often that's what we do when we come into church. We're bleeding out. We're hurting on the inside. And yet when people say, hey, how are you doing? You say good immediately because that's your rehearsed church phrase. Instead of being honest, open, and allowing for healing to happen in this place. One of our first um, phrases for Thrive is be real. Be real. And I think God has called us to genuine, authentic, real relationships. Uh, I want to read from Scripture when Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through 6. Uh, It'll also be on the screen. And it says this. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, ask you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endowing to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I love that because it ends with one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One in the New Testament is actually the word uh, rooted in the Old Testament for shalom. And basically the concept of shalom is this. It's perfect unity with all relationships. Perfect peace. Shalom. See, the, the quest, the, the path to shalom is not an easy one. It's one where you have to get real with people. Not just with people, but also with God. But that's exactly what he calls us to do. I want to break down the scripture, so I want to go back to verse 1. So it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, ask you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so I want to talk about what the calling is. Um, you know, we read in scripture where it talks about uh, God will work all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And what that literally means is it's this free gift. It's this thing that God has placed on you from the time that you were born. It's this calling, this, this thing he's given you to do. And that's to preach the gospel. That's to love people and show them Jesus. And so Paul is urging us that we do that in our lives. And he continues and he says, with all lowliness. See, he starts right off the bat with all lowliness. Lowliness, another translation for that is humility. See, Paul understood that people have pride problems. Do you have a pride problem? I know I do a lot of times. Yeah. People have pride problems. And I love this definition of humility. Humility is a correct estimation of yourself. You see, so often we have this higher estimation of ourselves. And so it's easy for us to point out people's flaws. It's easy for us to point out people's struggles and sin issues. But Paul knows that in order for us to be a church of unity, we have to be a church that walks humbly. He continues and he says, um, in gentleness. See, the root word for gentleness is meek. Meek. And we talked about meekness last week, that meekness doesn't equate to weakness. But meekness is literally strength under control. It's that uh, sports athlete who can play up, play up all the time, but not overexert himself. It's that person that's always cool, calm, and collective in his daily life. Meekness. It's strength controlled. And he continues, with long-suffering, with patience. See, what he's saying here, with long-suffering, is you have every reason to get revenge on that person. You have every reason to hurt that person because they've hurt you. But instead, you're going to choose not to because you're acting in long-suffering. He continues and says, bearing with one another in love. I think basically what Paul's saying here when he says bearing with one another in love is the mentality of, hey man, I got your back. See, we talk about be real, be loved, and belong. And I feel like a lot of people are searching for a place to just be a part of something. 
be a part of something bigger than themselves. I know some of you guys might have felt like an outcast in high school or middle school, and you're searching, you're floundering. I know for me, coming back home from college has been really, really difficult because I'm not really an adult adult, but I'm not really a kid. And so finding my niche, my place where I felt like I was a part of something has been difficult. But God says right here that when we walk with each other in love, that we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That we have this mentality of, hey man, if you fall down, I got you. And I don't know about you, but that is a bond worth fighting for and worth striving to have. And I love how it ends. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's unity, not division, which so often happens in the church. You see, I think about the church and all of these stories that I constantly hear and I see, all these times where we fight within ourselves over the stupidest issues, do you know that there's actually churches that have separated because of the color of carpet? There's actually churches that have separated over small, minute issues on dress code. You see, constantly we're throwing up these things, we're holding meetings and debates, and we're fighting over stuff that just at the end of the day does not matter. You see, what happens is, because we have this uh, overestimation of ourselves, because we are prideful, we feel like we have this sense of entitlement so many times. And so what happens is we fight about all the stuff that's so petty in the church while spiritual warfare is happening. You know, spiritual warfare is a real thing. Angels and demons fighting constantly, this battle of good and evil. And we're losing souls because we're too consumed with small little personal preferences rather than spiritual issues. It's got to change. God's church is a place of love, of truth, and authenticity. It's a place where we don't worry about these minor, uh, petty details any longer. I want to read another uh, passage of scripture, and it's in the book of John. And for a lot of you guys, you've already heard this story if you've grown up in church. It's a pretty common story. And it's in John chapter 8. I'm going to read for verse 2 through 11. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they had said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses is in the law commanded us that she should surely be stoned. But what do you say? They said that to test him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw the first stone. See, I think so often we read that scripture and we almost become numb to the story. We don't really get a good grasp of what's happening here. So I want you to do something. I want everybody to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep on me, but close your eyes. I want you to picture this scene, this woman, just being completely consumed with guilt. She knows what she's about to do is so wrong but she feels like it's the one thing that might help her feel something because her marriage just isn't cutting it because life is just really hard and this might be an ease for her. And so for just a minute, she swallows that guilt as she gets in bed with this man who's not her husband. And while they're performing this this act of adultery, while she's having sex with a man who's not her husband, the whole time knowing what she's doing is wrong, the doors are busted down by Pharisees. It would be like this whole church staff coming in in your darkest hour that moment when you're on the computer looking at something you're not, that, that moment when you're stealing something in the store, imagine the entire church staff seeing you do that and then ripping you away, dragging you, this woman naked, crying, hurt, scared, 
being drug across the ground out into the temple in front of all of these people, knowing that she's about to be stoned to death because that's what the law calls for. You can open your eyes. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful image. That's a powerful story. But you see, what was happening here in the scripture is the Pharisees were trying to teach something in the temple to Jesus that day. They were trying to teach them two things, and I want you to remember what they were trying to teach. The first thing is hide. How good are you at hiding your sin? How good are you at hiding the things that you're struggling with? The second thing is this, lie. You see, because if you can hide and you can lie, you'll never be put in that situation. If you can hide and lie and cover up your sin, you'll never be exposed or thrown out. But you see, Jesus had another answer. Fear of consequences is really an ineffective way of preventing sin. You know, I know for me, having this fear in my heart of a consequence can stop me from doing something for a little while. And sure, there's some things in my life that when I think about doing them, I go, wow, that would really screw my life up, and so I don't do it. But that only lasts so long. Eventually, that desire gets so big that I'm just going to do it anyways and just deal with the consequences. But you see, Jesus realized that grace is far more powerful than fear. And so Jesus realized that at the temple this day, the only person who was actually safe was the woman who was fallen at the feet of a holy God, vulnerable, completely unrighteous, knowing that she was totally unworthy and completely broken. She was exposed. Her sins were out to the whole world. But the people who were actually in trouble were the Pharisees holding stones, the holier-than-thous, the ones who said, you're broken and messed up and you deserve death. See, I think Jesus was illustrating here when he said, you who have, the, you who have not sinned, throw the first stone. I think we're seeing Jesus' righteous, holy love. Jesus' righteous, holy, and powerful love. Yeah, I don't think that Jesus was happy about what was going on. I think he was angry. And it wasn't at the woman who was broken at his feet. It was at the church people. It was at the religious people. You see, Jesus wanted this woman who was broken to come to him. And the reality of this story is this, that that woman probably didn't want to be caught. That woman probably didn't want to be in that situation to begin with. But regardless of how she got there, there's freedom. There's freedom on the other side of hiding. In that moment, she was allowed to bear her soul. She was allowed to pour out her sin to Jesus. She was allowed to humble herself. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. She allowed her to walk, he allowed her to walk away. Because that's his love. Because his love is safe. His love is a place where you can be real like this church. But my question for you tonight is, can church be a place that's safe? You know, we know from that story that Jesus is safe. Jesus can handle our sin. Jesus isn't surprised by our sin. But is church a safe place? Is church a safe place for you to be open? Can we allow it? Can we get to that place where we are building each other up, not breaking each other down? If you've ever seen the movie 300, Um, They talk about, uh, and they have this image of people, warriors, putting their shields together, going shoulder to shoulder, and the shields actually forming an offensive weapon. See, guys, we're not meant to do this life thing on our own. And the only way that we can succeed and move forward against the enemy is if we join together, is if we allow ourselves to be real in this place, pouring into each other, allowing opportunity for healing in our lives. You know, I know a lot of people probably have come into this place with those masks on, feeling like they can't be real. But this idea of uh, me too is very prevalent. I want to show you that. 
I put on my Facebook page a survey, and I shared it on the Burlington Baptist page. And so this survey was responded to by over 200 people. And these are all people that you know. That's the cool, cool thing about this. The people that are in your daily lives that you work with, that you go to school with, that you go to church with, that you might think have a perfect life. But I want to show you some things. What, the first question was this. Have you ever struggled with depression? 70% of people answered that question, yes. Second question was this. Have you ever found yourself struggling with fear or anxiety? 88% of people answered that question, yes. The next question was, do you have anything in your life that you're constantly ashamed of? 50% of people said yes. And I want that to be tangible for you. Right side of the church, would you guys stand up? Just stand up. My right, your left, sorry. Guys, look around. In your room, in this room right now, 50% of people, and I'm not saying these guys are the bad ones and you guys are the good ones who got your life together, but this many people in the room struggle with that. You guys can sit down. The next question that was asked was, have you ever been physically abused or physically abusive? 28% of people said yes. Have you ever been sexually abused or sexually abusive? 20% of people said yes. I want to give you another representation of this because I think this is really powerful. Remember your number. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, Four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one. Would all the fives in the room stand up? These are people in your everyday lives, guys, who have been sexually abused. You're not alone if that's you. Would you sit down? Next question on there was Have you ever thought about or attempted suicide? This stat is kind of heartbreaking. 35% of people answer that question, yes. The next question was, do you have anything in your life that you haven't been able to quit doing? 58% of the people answered that question, yes. The next question was, have you ever abused drugs or alcohol? 25% of people said yes. That's one-fourth of the room, guys. Do you struggle with addictions, temptations, or thoughts that you know are outside of God's will for your life? 78% of the people said yes. 78%. And the last question was, have you ever lied to someone in an effort to hide your actions? 92% of people said yes. See, this stat is the most heartbreaking of all because people feel like they cannot be real. People feel like they're freaks or they're broken and so they can't talk about their stuff. And I hope tonight, if you've seen anything else, is that we aren't in this thing alone. That we have people in our daily lives who have struggled with the exact same thing as you. We all struggle with stuff. And there's freedom on the other side of hiding. As the band comes forward, I want to talk about one more thing. And to do that, I want to illustrate it with a magic trick. Now, when I told my dad I was doing a magic trick tonight, he made fun of me a lot, so... I hope you guys think this is cool, cooler than he thought it was. 
see what happens in life. So we start out this perfect deck of cards. Trey, will you come up here? I just need you to do something for me. Will you tell everybody what that card is? Yes. Go ahead and tell everybody. Yeah. So it's the king of diamonds. So for this illustration, the king of diamonds is going to represent our sin. So what happens is the sin is on the surface. You can sit down, yeah. I'm not going to make you stand up here the whole time. No, you're good. So what happens is, is when we sin, that sin is prevalent. It's on the surface of our hearts all the time. We're constantly looking over our shoulder, hoping that people don't find out about it. But you see, this card is face down because we don't want people to see our sin. Trey, tell me when to stop. See, eventually this, this feeling of this sin being right on the surface all the time gets to be too much. And so what we do is we take that sin and we bury it somewhere deep inside our hearts, somewhere deep inside our spirit. And, and then when people ask us about it and we go to church and they say, how are you doing? We just lie. We just cover it up. And eventually this deck of 52 perfectly organized cards becomes this thing that's a hot mess, really. See, that's our lives. And this sin is somewhere deep down inside of us. Guys, I want you to know something tonight. No matter that one secret, that one thing that you've been hiding for your entire life, God is a God who brings our sin to the surface. He takes it from wherever it is, and he brings it straight to the top. But he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just leave our sin there. One of the most beautiful parts of Scripture says that Christ casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And what he does when he does that is he completely gets rid of it. And this deck of cards is no longer a perfect deck of cards. It's not the same thing. The identity of the deck has changed. It's a new creation. Guys, that can be you tonight. Maybe you've been living with this sin inside of you, this brokenness inside of you, this issue that you've never dealt with, that you've never allowed God to bring to the surface, and it's been eating you alive. Tonight in this place, would you realize this is a place where you can be real? Would you allow God to bring this thing to the surface? Let him cast as far as the east is from the west and give you freedom tonight from your hiding. Would you bow your heads? Dear God, I want to thank you for a church where we can be real, where we can be loved, and where we can belong to something bigger than ourselves. God, I want to thank you for your grace that no matter how many issues or struggles, no matter how many things we have to deal with in this life, we're not dealing with it alone. God, you've given us brothers and sisters, this band of brothers, this bond of people where we can do life together, where when life gets hard and chaotic, we're not by ourselves. Lord, would you allow this church to be a place where instead of fighting over petty things, instead of uh, messing around with stupid personal preferences, that we would see a bigger, greater spiritual need and we would be a church that can love this world in a mighty way because we love each other. And God, tonight, the stats don't lie. The reality is we live in a broken world and there's a lot of woundedness in this place. God, maybe for the first time, would you bring some of this stuff to the surface for us? And would you allow us to leave it at your feet tonight? Would you allow us to give it to you so you can cast it as far as the east is from the west? God, would you give us freedom tonight from the things that we've been hiding? Lord, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this place that I can call home and this family. 
God, would you just allow us to feel this sense of humility as we act and as we respond in the next few moments? Would you not allow us of, of how we might be judged or looked at? Would you truly give us this sense of peace that we are in a safe place to fully surrender to your will? We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So guys, during this next song, I just ask that you would respond. Maybe for you it is getting down on your face at this altar and saying, God, I've struggled with this. I've hidden it for far too long and I can't do it anymore. Would you just take this away from me? Bring it into the light and get rid of it. I'm finally letting go. If you need somebody to pray for you, this is a place where you can do that. You're not in this alone. Maybe the way you want to respond is by taking communion and remembering what Christ said on the cross. You see, because Jesus died, because Jesus was beaten and hung on a cross and bled and died, we have grace. So no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we get caught in the act of adultery, Jesus looks at us and says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. He's given freedom to us. So would you drink, take the bread, and remember what he did for you.